there had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature. Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready! Are you ready to get your mind blown? Do it! One, two, three, four! Darkside, the project from the mind of electronic music star Nicholas Jar, takes the genre and pushes it way into the future. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Darkside joins us in the studio for a live performance. Then we review the new album from the experimental globe-trotting musician Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, Jim, we're going to be talking to this duo, Dark Side, Dave Harrington, Nicholas Jar. They've produced one of the most genre-bending albums of 2013, and they have got a great story about how they got the name for this group. And it's not based on the Pink Floyd album, the bestseller, uh, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. That is very true. But first, we've got some music news. That is Let You Know, a track from an artist named DJ Rashad on Sound Opinions. Rashad Hardin died at the age of 34 on April 26th. They're still trying to determine exactly how he died. Some people are speculating drugs, some a blood clot. But the point is, he was one of the most important dance producers of the last couple of decades. He started out as a dancer in the Chicago clubs and street corners in the early 90s, and he turned into this pioneering producer. His death, on top of Frankie Knuckles' death a few weeks before that, means we've lost two pioneers in the dance club community out of Chicago just this year. And Harden really took a lot of the innovations that Knuckles started with in the 70s and brought them forward into the new millennium. When you think about Chicago, you think about dance music having a major forum here, and dance itself, Don Cornelius with Soul Train, that stepping tradition of the Chicago clubs in the 70s, house music with its jack movements, and that morphed into a genre called juke, and later on a genre called footwork, which Rashad was an expert in. Very much about the dancers and about the beats, whereas house music was about 125 beats per minute, juke and footwork were about 165 beats per minute. Rashad comes in this very athletic style of dancing, creating sort of a warped avant-garde offshoot of it. Rashad kind of made dance music for the headphones. You could appreciate it on the dance floor, but also you could listen to it on headphones and take a trip that way. He had a major year last year with a double album called Double Cup that was widely acclaimed, and it all began with a classic single, a song that is considered one of the landmarks of the genre called Let It Go. Here's that track from the late DJ Rashad on Sound Opinions.
That was Let It Go in memory of DJ Rashad on Sound Opinions. Greg, that's a little bit of Pearl Jam, a group that together with R.E.M., Death Cab for Cutie, Kathleen Hanna, and many other musicians have strongly supported the concept of net neutrality. Those are two words you've probably heard a lot in the last couple of months. It's the basic idea that all content moving over the Internet should be equal. It should all move at the same speed. Well, in January, a federal appeals court overturned the FCC rules supporting net neutrality, and on May 15th, the playing field changes, okay? It is quite possible that the giant Internet service providers, your Comcast, your Verizons, your Time Warner cables, will now be able to charge certain content providers more money for a faster speed. You know, independent band websites that are streaming music, streaming services like Spotify, Beats Music, Pandora, may now be getting slower service because we're not going to be paying more. Casey Ray of the Future of Music Coalition, an organization we respect very much, said, The Internet in America will now be carved into a fast lane for well-heeled corporations and a dirt road for everybody else. And then Harold Field of the Public Knowledge Open Internet Nonprofit Group said, Pay to play is not net neutrality. Pay to play. The corporation's paying more, get better service. The rest of us get the scraps unless we have those big bucks. We don't know how it's going to play out exactly in the music world, but none of this is very promising. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's a song, Cologne, from an album called Space is Only Noise by electronic artist Nicholas or Nico Jar. That's a name that many electronic music fans in the audience are going to recognize. And he's since come together with a collaborator and multi-instrumentalist named Dave Harrington for a new project called Darkside. Both guys are going to join us shortly to talk about this music that brings together electronica, jazz, world beat, even classical music in a really cool way. And it's especially impressive considering that Jar and Harrington consider Darkseid something of an accident. They do, Greg. Uh, the two of these guys first met at Brown University, and Harrington joined Jar on stage to support his solo shows. Together as Darkseid, they released the critically acclaimed album Psychic, which uh, came in at number four on your best of list in 2013, Greg. They visited our studios while on tour promoting that disc, and we began the conversation by asking Nico Jar why and how he brought his electronic studio music onto the live concert stage. I guess the way it happened is that I had been making live sound for three three years prior to the, my, my, my record, and I was definitely playing in clubs, you know, in Europe um, for 100, 200 people. 
And I guess a part of me felt like when I was playing after a year, two years, three years of, you know, during the summers going out and playing, I just started feeling like I could have some more stuff going on. I, I didn't feel like I was doing enough, honestly. I felt like I was singing and playing keyboards, but I wanted to start to, to have communication with other musicians while I was on stage. There wasn't really room in clubs, right, for that. Mm. But we, me and my booking agent just said, okay, let's just tell Fabric and these, you know, clubs that we're just going to go with a guitar player, with a drummer, and with a saxophone player. And let's see what, you know, what <laughs> happens. And honestly, we didn't know. Like, I, it was very naive also. Like, we didn't know if it was going to be easy. We weren't going with a sound person. We were just, just us four just going to this club waiting for, you know, it to actually work. A couple of things came out of it. You know, some new... I felt like the music was much better once it was kind of enveloped by other musicians that knew how to play their instruments so well. But beyond that, you know, Dave and I started really forming a relationship on tour and feeling like we, my my music and my compositions, I guess, were kind of limiting us and we wanted to take the project a little further. And that's when Dark Side kind of, you know, got created. Dave, you came in on that tour uh, you're coming from more of a jazz background, jazz bassist, right? Mm-hmm. So really kind of almost the opposite end of where Nico was. Uh, what, yes and no. What did you, what did you make <laughs> of it when you got the invitation to be a part of Nico's band? Well, it was Will, Will Epstein, who was, our, who was playing saxophone in the band, was our kind of mutual best friend, but Nico and I didn't really know each other at the time. So when Will said, come do this, I was like, sure, you know, I'll come play, I'll jam, you know, I trust Will. And the reason I say yes and no, being some kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, is because, you know, the first thing that we did during the kind of audition jam session was Nico was like, this is in C minor, I'm going to start, and then you come in. The first thing we did was just (laughs) improvising, that was it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from day one, it's not so much different than jazz, really. Yeah, it sounds like a Miles Davis approach, Nico, that you had to this band, where it's you hire the guys and... Then you let them be themselves rather than dictating their parts to them or telling them exactly how to play. I mean, I definitely don't want to dictate any parts to anyone. I feel like the most exciting thing for me, at least, is when people are honestly feeling like, you know, whatever is underneath them is supporting them and they can go and do do their thing. And I guess the first jam was interesting because it wasn't good. You know, it wasn't (laughs) so good at all. And everyone was playing at the same time. But I, I remember very... I remember being like, hmm, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. But then I started kind of isolating the elements. Like, okay, me, me and you, Dave, first. Let's just, you know, no drummer, no saxophone. Let's just see. And then we got to something. You know, there was like a very simple thing that we could do where it fit. And then I told the drummer to only do fills. No snare, no hi-hats, because that was cluttering. And then the saxophone uh, player, Will, I told him to just, you know, use a harmonizer or something and just ride just to see you know texturally if that made sense and that's when things started coming together by really creating a more minimal approach to what each musician was going to do we kind of got to a point where it was feeling like a band and i guess we've been doing that in a way ever since just trying to say what you know works in this context what doesn't you know you know after a year saxophone solos on top of some kind of more techno grooves i started feeling like there were it was cheesy you know it wasn't like Mm. what i wanted to go for and then will started playing more keyboards he's an incredible keyboard player and that just kind of took us to another direction you know so 
in a way, we were also improvising with even the things we were playing. Mm -hmm. You came in as a primarily a bassist, and you got a guitar in your hand, obviously. Right now you have a guitar in your hand. Yes, so indeed. you were kind of a new instrument for you in terms of a band context, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, like, and mo like m lots of bassists, at least. I've played guitar first, you know, when I was eight or nine years old. So I'd always played guitar, but I'd actually never played guitar in a band in my life. But I love the guitar, and I love guitar players. Um, so even when I was a bass player, I was kind of, you know, kind of a guitaristic bass player, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's, uh, let's hear a song before we pick up the story again. What are you guys going to play? Great. Um, well, you want to do Dave paper trails? Yeah.
Paper Trails from Dark Side, live on Sound Opinions. Coming up after the break, we'll talk more with the band. Then later in the show, we review the new album from another former Sound Opinions guest, Tune Yards. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we've been talking with the electronic band Darkside. Darkside is the project of the electronic music artist Nicholas Jar and multi-instrumentalist Dave Harrington, and it pushes the boundaries of what most people think of when it comes to that genre. Jar's always wanted to make the live experience a different one from that of the album, improvising and mashing up his compositions on stage with a full touring band. This is an expensive proposition. So during our chat, I asked Nico just what made him think he could do it. Um, we were able to pay for it because the club DJ world is crazy. And it doesn't make any sense economically. And you can do things like that. Yeah. But um, in terms of why I thought that that was okay, I think it was just immaturity, being young. And like naive, being naive. Like when I look back, I'm like, uh, that could have gone a <laughs> very, gone wrong. <laughs> very bad way. And maybe it even did go wrong. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I learned. I mean, I learned from, from doing it. And that's, I guess, in a way, like what makes me keep on doing this is, you know, Dave and I always talk about like exploring. When we were making the record, it was like first time in a studio. Let's explore. Mm. You know, oh, the mixer's broken. Cool. Let's work with it. Maybe that also sounds like a bad idea using a broken mixer, but we, you know, I feel like you can, there's something kind of exciting about not knowing what you're doing. Mm-hmm.
Well, today's, you know, tyranny of the beat world of, of electronic music, so much of it in the mainstream, not the underground, is all about 128 BPM, right? Uh, you guys are, are going back to me, it seems, in addition to this long history of psychedelic rock, whether we want to talk about Can or Pink Floyd or, or Brian Eno, you're also going back to a time in Electronica in the early 90s where there was a crazy ambition. I mean, the first time I saw the orb, Alex Patterson, he's playing live with a jazz bassist, uh, stand-up bassist and, and drummer, and he's playing the mix board and he has somebody else playing keyboards and it was it was truly extraordinary or or aphex twin when he would take the stage it was none of this yeah. uh you know uh, uh skrillex i'm just gonna hit the go button and it goes you know and you know that's okay too because it says a lot about where we are today and a lot of people just want that and that's fine you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i don't criticize that stuff but i do feel like there's something there's still something to the idea of that 90s idea, you know, of let's have a jazz player and, you know, these 909 drum machines. I think there's still something to that and we can get to something really exciting. Well, I, regarding this partnership, you know, the story about Dark Side now is kind of like, okay, Robert Johnson had the crossroads and Dave and Nico had this hotel room in Berlin, right? <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, that's where suddenly something happened in that room. So, Dave, has that story gotten completely out of hand where it, 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 it kind of attributes too much to what happened there? But I, I mean, it's just so what all. happened. It's just exactly what happened. It's really, like, not any kind of elaborate myth-making. It's like when I'm, we're in there I'm and then I'm going to say the facts. <laughs> I'm just going to – because these are all facts. These are very cold facts. We were in Berlin. We were in a hotel room. We made a song. We, made a, we were making A1. <laughs> but then the exciting part, and this has to do with our live show now, mm. you know, kind of basically what, what I'm trying to say is that we were using American speakers, which for us, I, I guess, symbolizes something. We were using American speakers in Europe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they started smoking because we had used a kind of not-so-good travel adapter mm-hmm. in order to plug them <laughs> into the wall, right? And so then, but then the second thing that happened is that we were bathed in total darkness <laughs> because the power of our, just of our room, not of the entire hotel, you know? Mm-hmm. The facts are that the power in our room mm-hmm. cut off. And so we were, we just said, okay, this, this, it smells bad in here and it's full of smoke and it's very dark. <laughs> we should get out of this room. Those are the facts. We sat down in the hallway of the Michelberger Hotel, which plays The Big Lebowski 24 7. Wow. So we were illuminated by The Big Lebowski. These are facts. <laughs> and we finished the song right there and we decided to call ourselves Dark Side at that moment. <laughs> These are real things that happened. <laughs> You know, this whole idea of creating this music, uh, I think one of the things that's most fascinating, I'm sure it's got to be a compliment to you guys, uh, Psychic came out in the fall of, of 2013, and critics, people who listened to the record, were having, just jumping all over themselves, trying to describe what genre it was, to the point where nobody could really describe what genre it was, which I think, uh, was that 
sort of intentional? Did you feel like you almost started with that intent, or did that just sort of happen that it ended up that way? Well, you know, genre is just kind of a utilitarian thing, right? Genres are just kind of are these words that we make and hybridize um, in order to talk about music, which is most often too esoteric and ephemeral to talk about that way anyway. Um, that said, it's not like we set out and we're like, we're going to blast these genres apart. What you hear is just, this is what I like, this is what Nico likes, you know? And they, and they happen at the same time, and then we modulate them a little, and that's the end of the story in a way. And the, the other thing that, that excites me a lot is that the bad reviews that we got were from people that saw a genre in it. So they were like, this is their take on Ibiza Balearic, you know? <laughs> like, you know, like, and I was like, oh, so you think this is beach music? Okay, well then it's horrible beach music. You're totally right. It's like the worst. It's really like this is the, the worst. most depressing beach party. This is the most disgusting beach music yeah. I've ever heard. You're completely right. Yeah. You know, and so in a way, like that is in a way that's kind of an exciting thing to try to do these days. Is you know when we play live, it's much easier to kind of digest, and it's like there's a big beat, and you know we're going and rocking out, and and that's kind of we're trying to communicate you know, in a very one-to-one basis. But in a record, is also exciting to say, let's see if we can maybe get rid of some of these specific things that you can attribute and see what happens. Nico, I was talking to you earlier, and you had said that you got to the point where you were recording everything because anything could be music. For example, Dave tuning his guitar. Right. Why Why was that? What What, what made you feel that that was so important. If I can be completely honest with you, and it's kind of showing my cards a little bit, but it's that I don't necessarily have, you know, incredible, you know, melodic ideas. They, a good melodic idea comes to me like once a year, twice a year. The rest is, is stuff I find, you know? Like I, I'm not, I'm a producer, you know, before I am anything else. And so for me, sound is what I look for. And I'll find melody and sound or I'll find this and that, you know. But I don't sit at the piano most days and start, you know, writing a song. I can't. That's, not, that's just not me. And so in a way, I have to resort to recording everything to see if something mm-hmm. good comes up, you know. Right. That, that must be a heck of an editing process, though. You've got hours and hours, I'm sure, of sound there. And, and, I, and Yeah, I love editing. I mean, that, that's kind of, in a way, if there's one thing that I do is editing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just I edit, you know, sound. This Eno notion of the happy accident seems very that's, yeah, relevant to you guys. I mean, yes. it's so totally. huge. I can't. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the truth. <laughs> At least for now, it's, to me, it's the truth. They have a little alarm buzzer. Anytime I make an Eno reference, they're like, Jam, not again. I think that's the second one today. You but guys are really bringing out the best. There are the people who get it, and there are the people who don't. Yeah, I mean, to me, he's, he's probably, for me, like who he is as a person, not even his music, but like what he has created as a person, to me, is one of the biggest influences you know, in my life, for mm-hmm. sure. You're in the Jim. You're in the Jim DeRogatis Hall of Fame right now. I have to say, Nico, <laughs> yeah. you've made it. It's people who get you know, people who don't. I generally don't want to know the people who don't. <laughs> Me neither. Fair no, enough. Honestly. Yeah. Um, what are you guys going to play next? Uh, we're going to play "Free Go Home." Thank you. 
Freak Go Home from Dark Side, Nicholas Jar and Dave Harrington on Sound Opinions. Nico and Dave, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. It's been great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. To watch a video of Darkside or to catch up on previous episodes of the show, visit our website, soundopinions.org. Have a comment on this show or anything in the musical universe? Call 888-859-1800. Coming up, we review the new album from Tune Yards, and Greg takes a trip to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's a little bit of a song called Water Fountain, the first single from Nicky Knack, the third album by Tune Yards, better known as Meryl Garbus. She was a guest on Sound Opinions when she was touring behind that album in 2011. It's when her career really took off. But she's been playing under the name Tune Yards since 2006, and she put out her first album, Self-Financed, in 2009. A really fascinating woman who hails from the East Coast, raised in New York and Connecticut, started out as a puppeteer in Vermont, but has lived all over the world, learned to speak Swahili, lived in Kenya, lived in Nairobi for a time, on stage making this music with computer rhythms from those African countries and layering her vocals one after another after another to create these complex harmonies. Eventually, she began playing as a part of a band, broadening the sound, but it really was all about those rhythms, those loops, and her vocals. Toured with Arcade Fire, really broke big in 2011. Some people, even if they think they don't know her music, may have heard it on Orange is the New Black, on Weeds, on The Good Wife. She's been in television commercials. She's been all 
all over the place. And in 2011, that second album, Who Kill, was the number one album of the year, according to America's rock critics in the Paz and Jop poll. Now it comes time for the big third album. She took some time off. She visited Haiti before going in the recording studio. We'll give our opinions about what we think of this record, uh, but let's play a little bit of it first. This is a song called Hey Life by Tune Yards from Nicky Knack on Sound Opinions. Hey Life, I am calling your name, but all I hear is an echo, unless your voice and mine sound the same, but hey life, I love you so much, I scream and shout, but I'm one foot in, one foot out, which is kind of like running on a roundabout, you know. I've spent 12,944 days alive Amazing how a human being can still thrive But I know my days are numbered I should enjoy the climb I'd like to smell the roses But I'm running, running all of the time I don't want to run out But I'm running, running I don't know where to go But I can't seem to go slowly, no I don't want to run out So I'm running, running Hey, 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 life Why do you keep me around? That is Hey Life from Tune Yards. The new album is called Nikki Knack. And, you know, she had a big act to follow up uh, with Who Killed. That's an album we both loved. I actually think she's outdone herself with this record. The growth on this record is extraordinary. The Who Killed record was kind of an outgrowth of her live show. The layering of the voices, uh, the percussion, the ukulele, you know, at the center of that record. I'm not hearing a lot of your favorite instrument on this record, Jim. There's still (laughs) enough there. I tell you, Meryl Garbus is the only artist in history who gets a pass from me from using that that dreaded mini-axe. I think she did an awesome job with it in terms of just turning it into an instrument of punk rock on that record and in live performance. But she sort of moved on here. Her collaboration with uh, bassist and co-songwriter Nate Brennan, very solid, but they've also added some elements. Uh, They've gotten some production work from Malay and John Hill, who have worked with people like Big Boy and M.I.A. They've added this group, Roomful of Teeth, a vocal group that uses their voices in much the same way that Meryl Garbus does. Sometimes you wouldn't even call it singing. It's more like vocalizing and creating these sounds, the voice as an instrument. Say, he come, he come, he come, and your sleep is afraid, but we come, shake come, tell him, be unafraid. And now they say, he come, he come, 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 and now they say,
The other thing, too, that I think is interesting about this record, I love the name of it, Nicky Knack. It, to me, describes the sound of a lot of the percussion on this record. There are not traditional percussion instruments on this record, or at least on on indie rock records. You know, the fact that she studied drumming in in Haiti is a big influence on the polyrhythmic approach to this music. The, The word that kept coming up for me when I would hear her sing for the first time was ecstasy and joy. And there's still that in this record, this just flinging of the voice at the heavens and creating these ecstatic sounds. That song, Hey Life, that we play Mm -hmm. Uh, She turns this ultimate existential question, right? Why am I here and for how long into this ecstatic mystery? But there's also a deeper, darker quality that I really love. She's showing some new moves on this record that widen what she can do in the studio. So she's taking it to another level. It's a buy it record for me. I'm with you, Greg. It's absolutely a buy it from me as well, despite one notable misstep. There's a song called Why Do We Dine on the Tots, which is a skit she used to perform as a puppeteer based on Jonathan Swift's modest proposal. She's doing all these different voices. I don't know what that's doing on the album. You've been spending too much of your dying alone time by reading those books, having radical having thoughts. Having radical of thoughts. Of course we Of must. course we must dine on the tots. What good were those kids before they were our food? Outrageously smelly, impulsive, and rude. Thus you know very well that the fresh produce rots. So clearly, so clearly we'll dine on the tots. Otherwise, it's a masterpiece. You know, sometimes she is talking about the difficulties of being a star now. Far more impressive is what you said, the darker songs, where she went to Haiti and she came back with two things— Unlike Arcade Fire, which went there and had roots there, she went there and she saw the poverty and she came back very moved. And she also took those rhythms and really incorporated them into her work here. You know, there's a sort of global empathy for the plight of women, whether they're in Oakland, where she lives now, or uh, Haiti. Absolutely a double buy it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, we'd like to take a trip to the desert island and play you a song we cannot live without. Mr. Cott, what do you got? Jim, I'd like to uh, take a trip and uh, play an entire album, Gonna Take a Miracle, from Laura Nero and LaBelle. What a combination. Uh, Laura Nero is an artist we don't talk nearly enough. She died very young at age 49 in 1997. She had an extraordinary start to her career in the late 60s, not only as a multi-octave vocalist and pianist, but also as a songwriter. She was writing things like Eli's Coming and Wedding Bell Blues and Stony End, and artists like The Fifth Dimension and Barbara Streisand were having huge hits with her songs. But meanwhile, Nero's albums were gem after gem. And I think my favorite one, though, was her fifth one, and it didn't have anything to do with her extraordinary songwriting. It was her going back to her childhood, growing up in the Bronx in the 50s and early 60s, and picking out the songs that moved her and inspired her to make a life out of music. She chose as her collaborator, Patti LaBelle, whom she toured with. They had bonded on the road, and Patti LaBelle, who loves to cook, would cook for Laura every night, and and they would have these conversations, and they wanted to work together. So Laura calls up Patti, and then Patti says, well, I got got this group. Maybe, Maybe they could sing 
thing as well. And so she invites Nona Hendrix and Sarah Dash of LaBelle, and they produce this extraordinary vocal-oriented record where Nero's chops in soul and jazz and R&B could really shine. In addition, it was one of the first classic productions from that great Philly soul production team of Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. She's picking these great songs, Spanish Harlem, You Really Got a Hold on Me, Jimmy Mack, but I think my favorite one is her version of the Shirelles, I Met Him on a Sunday. And what I love about it is it's mostly a cappella. It's just these great voices, Laura Nero, Patti LaBelle, Nona Hendrix, and Sarah Dash, these four women bonding in the studio on this great song. I Met Him on a Sunday from Laura Nero and LaBelle on Sound Opinions. Well, I met him on a Sunday. I Met Him on a Sunday by Laura Nero and LaBelle, Greg's Desert Island jukebox pick for the week. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we're going to take an in-depth look at one of the touchstone records of the alt-country movement, Uncle Tupelo's No Depression. As always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Jason Saldana, Anthony Martinez, and Jake Smith. opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. My name is Mike. I live in northern Illinois. I want to comment on your show about sad songs. One song I cannot believe was not mentioned was Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. Hi, this is the Tearjerker program I'm listening to, and there is no sadder song in the world than Tears in Heaven. 
tearjerker is the Chicago Blues sung by Bonnie Kolak. There's a place for us in West Side Story. Sunday Morning Coming Down by Chris Christopherson. Welcome back home by the birds. And it's Louis Armstrong. It's a Wonderful World. I've Been Loving You Too Long by Otis Redding. Guy Clark's My Favorite Picture of You. Boss Gags, Somebody Loan Me a Dime. The John Mayer song, Fathers, Be Good to Your Daughters. Wildflower by Skylark. Uncle Bonsai's Heartache. I Don't Think I'll Ever Get Over You off the Garden State soundtrack. The Beach Boys in my room. Ragdoll by Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Here with me by Dido. Walk on by, sung by Dionne Warwick. So painful. Hey guys, this is Nicolin calling from Tennessee. By 1995 or 96, I was driving home at 1 in the morning after my shift and switching through the radio stations, this music with the most beautiful strings came on and I had never heard it before. And then I pulled in my driveway and I just sat in the driveway and sobbed. Come to find out, it was Samuel Barber, Adagio for String, Opus 11. People were like, yeah, that's the song from Platoon. <laughs> it was everything that music does, joy and pain and poignancy and life and beauty. It just moved me to tears. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your show. Hi. My name is Shirley, and I live in Ventnor, New Jersey. The one song that makes me cry every time is Everything I Own by Bread because my dad died when I was 15 and I never realized until much later that that song was written about his father dying and he would give anything he owned to have him back again. Oh, I want to cry just talking about that. Greg, it's Adam from San Francisco, and, you know, I really didn't like that Sarah McLaughlin song before. I saw the movie Toy Story before I had kids, but now as the father of a three-year-old and a six-year-old, I'll be damned if that song didn't bring me to tears. When somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. I was bawling alone in my room, blocked away, but I will be ashamed no more. Thanks for the support. Bye. She loved me. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. 
We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.